Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Man, we go through some times that are challenging, and, and we I know all of us have been through these challenging days, and trying to figure out what, what is it that God wants to do, and here's what we know. The basic statement, you've probably heard this before, life, life is hard, but, but God is good. And so we've been talking about over the last number of weeks about sowing patience and that we always have to deal with situations in our life where it need, we need patience and, and we just want to just sow into the word of God. That's really our goal. That's, a, that's our plan for the year is, is to sow into the word of God, into the good soil of our heart so that it does produce things like patience in our life. All of us go through times where we're just tired of waiting. We're tired of waiting in traffic. We're tri- tired of waiting in a line at, at a grocery store. We're, you know, we're, we're tired of waiting for something to work properly. We just lose our patience oftentimes. We lose our patience with, you know, the people that we love and the people that love us. And that's usually who gets the majority of our, of our wrath, you know, when we, when we do lose our patience. And so how p- important is this for, for all of us? And, and so a couple weeks ago, I was doing some work out in my yard and moving some things around and I shifted some of the soil from one area of my yard to another area of my yards where I wanted to try to grow some grass. And so I did that, moved the soil, put down some seed, a grass seed. And I noticed, you know, it just wasn't coming up the way that I wanted it to come up. The, the grass was starting to come up a little, you know, sproutlets were coming up out of the ground, but it wasn't certainly what I was hoping. And so I sort of looking at the, at the soil that I moved, I realized, boy, this soil just wasn't good. It, you know, they had a lot of rocks in it. It had a lot of weeds in it. It had a lot of roots in it. It even had some of the soil that I moved had some mulch in it. And it just wasn't good soil. It wasn't good soil in order for me uh, to produce what, what uh, I was hoping it would produce. And that was, uh, you know, some good thick grass. And so I just know that I need to have better soil. If I'm going to plant something and, and sow something into the the ground it has to have good soil this is also true for us we need to have the soft soil of our heart our hearts need to be softened in order for God to work uh, some patience in, in our life and so um, today I want to look at a guy by the name of Job and Job is, is a st- story in the Bible maybe if you're in, been in church you're probably familiar with the story of Job but Job was man he was a uh, just an incredible man. He he had incredible amounts of patience. We're going to look at his patience uh, today, and and so he he also was a, a rich man. He he had he had all of it. He had health. He had wealth, and he had happiness. He had the the big three that we all want: health, wealth, and happiness. And that's what that's what he he wanted. And so James talks about Job. James mentions Job uh, in in, his, in James five seven. And so maybe we've looked at this verse. He says, "Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord." In other words, guys, listen. Until Jesus comes again, we need to be patient. Until Jesus returns and makes everything that's wrong right again, everything that's broken and he restores it, everything that's dead and he brings it life, eternal life to it. He says, in in that time, we need to just, we need to be patient. He says, and he gives an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it. Being patient until it receives the early and the late rains. And so the early rains would happen somewhere around October. The late rains would happen somewhere around April. And so during that time of October and April, the farmer just had to wait. The farmer had to wait. And and here's what you know about farming is that, you know, it's out of their control. 
It's out of their hands. It's, it's, it's up to, you know, something bigger than themselves in order for, for something to produce and what he calls the precious fruit. So when it comes to even producing fruit in our life, that requires patience. It requires patience. And James is telling us this is the kind of patience we should have. And then look what James says, same chapter, a few verses later. He says, t- still talking about patience. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. So when you think about somebody's life, James would say, boy, when you think about their life and they, they stay firm, you know, they're immovable, you know, they just are, they stand to their, 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 their beliefs and, and their convictions. He says, we consider those kind of people blessed. We, we admire those people. We look up to those people. He says, you have heard, and look what he says, of the steadfastness of Job. He's like, you, you know that story. You know the story of Job. I mean, even James, when he's writing this letter, these people he, that are scattered and going through difficult, challenging times, and, you know, they've sort of, you know, got disoriented, and they're sort of questioning their faith a little bit and wanting to, you know, turn back and not be a Christian anymore and follow Jesus anymore. James is writing to that audience, and he's saying, listen, come on. You know those who are blessed. They're the ones that are steadfast. He says, consider, have you, you know, you know of the steadfastness of Job. Now, steadfast, that word, means this. It means an enduring patience. That's what steadfast means. So when you see steadfast in the Bible, you know that it means firm and unchanging and unmovable. But it it also just describes this idea of this enduring patience. And Job exhibited that enduring patience. James knew about the story of Job, just like you know the story of Job. Job, you know, had everything. He had, like I said, he had his health, he had his wealth, he had his happiness. He had, you know, he had thousands of, of livestock. I mean, it says the, the scripture tells us that he had, you know, thousands of camels and, you know, he had thousands of sheep and he had hundreds of oxen and donkeys. I mean, we don't think of that in, in, in our terms today of, of being wealthy, but in those days, that was extreme, extreme wealth. I mean, for him to have, you know, 7,000 sheep, like he said, like this records, 3,000 camels. I mean, this guy had tremendous amount of wealth. And you were also in that culture in the day of Job, you were also considered blessed based on the amount of children you had. And Job had 10 children. He had seven boys and three daughters. And he had, so he had, a, you know, accumulated 10 children, had thousands of livestock. So this guy had it all. He had family and he had fortune. That's what this guy had. And he had what we now know as, James says, he had enduring patience. Now, how did he develop that steadfastness? Well, Here's what we know in the story. We know that the enemy, Satan, came to God one day and said, you know why Job honors you? You know why Job has integrity? You know why Job worships you? You know why Job offers you know, sacrifices for his kids just in case they may have sinned at some point? You know why he does that? It's because you blessed him with so much. You gave him so much fortune. You have given him an immense amount of you know, family support and encouragement and, and, and tremendous blessing in that way. That's why he does that. And God goes, well, I tell you what, I'll let you do whatever you want to do to Job. Just don't harm him personally. And we'll see what kind of faith Job has. So in one day, according to scripture, maybe this could happen in just one day. In one day, Job lost everything. He lost his livestock. He lost his camels, his sheep, his donkey, his oxen. And worst of all, 
He lost his whole family, his, all of his 10 children, all at one time. I mean, oh my goodness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the, the, the pain that that brings about? I mean, uh, just, just thinking about that, it just breaks your heart. It crushes your spirit. But yet Job knew something that I hope that you know. Life is hard. And I don't mean to say that in a bumper sticker kind of a way or a cliche. I just know that for the fact of the matter is, is that not to me even make light of it, but Job knew that life is hard, but that God was good. And it says, even in all of that, look what, look what it says about Job in Job 1.22. Through all of this, through all of the loss that he experienced, through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And I don't know about you, but I'm always tempted whenever things don't go the way that I think that they ought to go, situations in my life, circumstances in my life that are out of my control that happened that I wish they didn't happen. I'm always tempted to sort of say, you know what, God, if this is how you treat me, if this is how you treat people, then I'm done. If this is how you act, if this is the ways that you are, then I'm finished with this thing called faith. But that's not what Job did. Job had every opportunity to say, you know what? Maybe the God that I put my faith in and my trust in, maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. And if God can allow certain things to happen in my life that are, were out of my control and, and that he takes them all away, then that's not the God that I'm gonna serve. But that's not what Job did. It says that Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. As a matter of fact, there's a very, very popular worship song that's been out there for a long time. And maybe you even recognize it, but this, it came from this story. And Job said this. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Regardless of what he, when he gives, blessed be his name. It's easy for us to bless his name when he gives, but when he takes away, Job said, we're still, I'm still gonna bless his name. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now, it doesn't mean that he was a perfect man. I know that we look at this story and go, wow, he must have just had, he must have been a superhero of faith and perfection. He always got it right and never got it wrong. And he always did what he was supposed to do. And he never complained or, you know, griped or was frustrated. Now, that's not true at all. As a matter of fact, what we love about the word of God is the honesty that the word of God gives to us about every person that they are, all of us are imperfect. The only one that is perfect is Jesus. And we need Jesus to produce things in us that we couldn't produce in, our, in ourselves, like patience, like the ability to say, you know what, I'm not gonna turn my back on God. I'm gonna con continue to bless God. I'm not gonna walk away from God. I'm gonna still pursue God with everything that I have. I am not gonna sin, even though I might think that I can justify it in my mind, but I'm not gonna sin because I'm still gonna honor God regardless if he, if he gives, regardless if he takes away. But Job wasn't a perfect guy. As a matter of fact, look at Job say, saying about the day that he was born. I mean, you can probably relate to this. He, he would say, let the day perish in which I was to be born. 
and the night which said a boy is conceived. Job's saying, I wish I was never born. I mean, we can, we can relate to this. I, I want you to see this about Job. He was a regular person. He was a regular guy, just like you and me. He had the same emotions and the same feelings and the same you know, things that he was going through mentally and emotionally in, in his life. And he was, got to a point where he, after all of this, after he lost everything and he lost his family and he lost his fortune. And, and now at this point, he's even lost his health. He doesn't even have his health. So he doesn't have his health. He doesn't have his wealth. And he certainly isn't happy. And he's even saying that, let this day that I was born, let it not exist. He even goes on to say in verse 6, he says the same, same idea. He's still talking about the day he was born. Job, Job 3, 6. He says, he says this. He says, as for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the numbers of the months. I mean, he's like, let this day that I was born be wiped off the map. Let this day that I was born be wiped off the calendar. I don't want it. It should never even be there. I don't want it even to exist. I mean, this is completely opposite of my son who just turned seven yesterday. Happy birthday to Andrew. Andrew turned seven and he couldn't have been more pumped that his birthday was yesterday. He was so pumped. As a matter of fact, the night before, he's like, I can't sleep. I'm so excited. He knew that some cousins and family were coming over to the house and he was going to open up some presents, you know, as you do on your birthday. And, and he was so pumped about it. He couldn't sleep. He was like midnight and he was still awake. He was so excited about the next day. And then he slept Four hours. He woke up at 4 a.m., couldn't wait to open up his presents when he, when he got up. He thought it was like, he acted like it was Christmas morning, man. I mean, he was so geeked about his day on June 6th that he was going to be seven. It was going to be an amazing day. And I'm telling you, that was like total opposite of the way that Job felt. And Job felt probably the way that you would feel if you went through what Job went through. And he was like, let this, I don't even want to recognize my birthday. I don't even want it to be on the calendar anymore. Wipe the stay away. And as a matter of fact, let darkness seize it. I don't even want any light to come in on that day. Let it just be all of darkness the day that I was born. So I just, I want to share that with you because I want to put Job on the same level playing field as all of us. That when we go through things that are hard, we go through things that are out of our control that we can look to a source like Job and we can relate and we can understand and that what God was gonna do and is gonna do in Job's life, he's gonna do in your life as well. That Job was no better than any one of us that go through hard things. That Job was able to exhibit patience when it was almost impossible to have patience. And so, Job had patience. Job had patience despite his partner. Now, this is sort of tongue-in-cheek. Again, here's who Job. You got to understand, Job had a wife. She wasn't harmed at all uh, through this, except for the fact that she also lost all of her children and all of her fortune. And so, you got to imagine this person, again, you, these are real people going through real situations that are mind-boggling to us, that we can't even wrap our minds around to even understand or fathom what they're going through. So she's 
feeling this loss too. And not only that, but she's now seeing that her husband has attracted this disease that the enemy gave to him because the first time after he lost everything, he still didn't sin and he still didn't blame God. And so the enemy goes back to God and says, well, if we do something to harm him personally, then I know that he'll turn his back on God. And he didn't even do it then. His own health was failing. And his wife is looking at her husband, whom she loves, and saying, seeing him, you know, disease-stricken, boils on his body, withering away to nothing, has just lost all of her 10 children to a terrible, terrible tornado. And she's at the end of her. And so she says to Job, look what she says to Job. And I don't recommend any wife saying this to their husband or anybody saying this to anyone, for example, in any means. It says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. You, you still are holding on to your integrity. You're still wanting to honor God in your life. You're still wanting to bless his name. I mean, he took all of our wealth away. He took all of our family away. He took all of your health away. And you're start, you still are gonna hold fast. You're still not gonna sin. You're still not gonna turn your back on God. Just curse God and die. And that's exactly what the enemy wanted him to do. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to you. That he wants to, for you to experience situations and difficult times and experiences in your life that you wouldn't choose for yourself. And he wants you to get so frustrated and to take matters into your own hands and to become so impatient that you turn your back on God. And she uses a maybe thinking or terminology that you and I wouldn't use, but maybe it's the way that we think. And she says, just, just get it over with. Just curse God and die. Just curse God and die. And Job said, no, I won't. I'm still gonna be steadfast. I'm still gonna endure patiently. I'm still gonna stand firm and I'm still gonna hold fast to my integrity. And I'm not gonna sin, even though I could justify it. And I'm not gonna blame God, even though everybody else tells me I should. I am not gonna curse God, and I'm not gonna die. He exhibited patience despite his partner who told him otherwise. You see what happens to us, and this is what happened to her, and, we, and you don't blame her. To be fair, we can't blame her right? We get tired of waiting. We get tired of waiting and we start scheming. Like this was her way just to end this, to be done with this. Like if this is the way that life is, I don't want anything to do with it. If this is what life throws at me, I'm out. If this is how God treats people, forget about it. And we want, and we're tempted to just cut corners and to, you know, find an easy way around or, or do something that will, you know, sort of Pro, or end this prolonged agony that we're going through in our life. And so when we do that, when we get tired of waiting, when we get tired of working through that process of waiting, we start scheming. We start scheming. The best example of that is another conversation between a husband and a wife. That is Abraham and Sarah. And you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham, you know, God comes to Abraham and says, you know, hey, listen, I'm going to make 
you know, a great nation. I'm going to give you a, a child, a son, and then through that seed, it's going to be a great nation. And, then, and through that nation, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through that. And so Abraham's like, wow, this is amazing. But the problem is, God, I'm old, and my wife is old advanced in years and and so we're not and, and you know this god she can't have children she's barren she's there's no way that she can have children and, and 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 she even had those same sediments and and even god came to her and said listen what you claim is impossible is possible with god what you say is impossible is possible with god and and this is always true for us too what we think is impossible what we think can't happen what we think can't turn around what we think can't change what we think can't transform it is always 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 possible with God. And so Sarah goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, listen, listen. Listen, now 10 years have gone by after God came to you and said that you're going to have a child and your child is going to be this nation and then this, through this nation, all the nations are going to be blessed through it. 10 years have gone by. Do you think maybe God meant something different? Do you think that God meant you know, I don't know. I mean, he knows that now we're really old. I mean, we were old 10 years ago, but now we're really old. Do you think that God meant something else? Hey, I know, Sarah says to Abraham, I know. Maybe you can have a child with her, Hagar, our handmaid. Maybe that's what God wants. I mean, I mean, I, I, maybe that's what we're doing. And so Sarah arranges for Abraham and Hagar, their handmaid, to, to, to have a child together. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know that that was a terrible idea. As a matter of fact, that decision that was made at that time, I don't know, some 4,000 plus years ago, we still have consequences from that today. That there's still issues that are happening, happening in our world even today in 2020 of a decision that was made 20 or four, excuse me, 4,000 plus years ago of a conversation between Abraham and Sarah. And that was this. We're tired of waiting and now we're starting to, we're going to start scheming. We're tired of waiting and let's think of another way around this, a shortcut around this. And what did they do when they got tired of waiting? They took matters into their own hands. And we still, to this day, are experiencing the consequences from that decision. Listen, this is what Job's wife was suggesting. Let's just end this. Let's just take a shortcut out of this. Why don't you just curse God and die, and let's be done with this. And Job said no. Job said no. He said it a little bit different in this way than other than just no. But he said to her, you speak as the, as the, of the foolish women would speak. Now, I don't ever recommend you husbands saying this to your spouse, but this is, <laughs> these are Challenging times that Job and his wife are going through. So we give him, cut him some slack, right? You speak as one of the fool, foolish women would speak. Shall we receive, now this is so important, shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In other words, how is it that, it, you know, we just sort of, it's okay to receive good from God, but when 
evil, I know we, it's a tough word to think about, but when we receive bad or hard or challenging, let's, let's substitute evil for hard or challenging or things that bring discouragement, how is it that we don't do it then? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, we, when, when everything, when we had all of our camels and we had all of our sheep and we had all of our donkeys, you didn't complain then about God, did you? When we had all of our 10 children, all, all, you, know, you didn't complain then, did you? But when something bad happens, we are tempted to blame God, to turn our back on God. Boy, that's so typical of us, isn't it? That's so typical of me. When things are going good, I bless. Thank you, God. You're great. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're incredible. Wow, you're so good. But when things don't go well, when things don't go the way that I hoped they would go or planned they would go, I get so tempted to sin. I get so tempted to blame God and to turn my back. And that was the message for his wife. Listen, I'm going to hold fast to my integrity. I'm going to stand firm on my faith. He gives and he takes away but blessed be his name. Job had patience despite his pals. Now, if you know the story of Job, these guys are a piece of work. These, these buddies of him. Is, now, listen, I'm, they are well-intended guys. They had, you know, they had his best intentions in mind, I'm sure. But boy, these guys offer some bad advice. They gave him some bad advice. They gave him some advice that I think is, I don't know, oftentimes where we get into trouble when it comes to trying to be well-intended with the people that we care about. They just had bad theology. They had a bad understanding of God. They completely misunderstood what, what God was wanting to do. And so Job, again, just so that we can put the level of the playing field here, Job was a regular guy just like you and me. And so, Job, maybe this is how you feel about some of your friends and the advice that they give to you. But look what Job said about his, his buddies, his pals. Job 13, 4. But you smear with lies. Look what he describes them. You are worthless physicians. Like, I mean, that's some serious, like, trash talk right there. Like, that is some serious shade, as the kids say. I don't even know if the kids say that anymore. I'm sure there's something they've moved on to now. But listen, that is like, you are, and here's, here's what you know. When you go to a doctor's, when you go to see a physician, you don't want one that's worthless. Like, you want a good one. You want a no, one that knows what they're talking about, knows what they're doing, is precise and clear, and, you know, and this is the direction that we're going to go in to, to make you feel better. That's what you want. You don't want to walk out of a doctor's office with, and, and say to yourself, well, that was a worthless position. But these, what Job describes his friends as, not only does he describe them as worthless physicians, look at what else he says about them. I have heard many such things you are a bunch of sorry comforters. <laughs> He's like, you guys are terrible at comforting me. You guys are awful at this. Like, I just lost all my kids. I lost all my cattle. And I, my wife is telling me to curse God and die. You guys are a bunch of sorry, sorry comforters. You guys are worthless physicians. And here was their advice, or here was their, their theology. 
that I think we oftentimes get wrong, especially when it comes to dealing with hardships and wanting to be impatient in those. Here's what they would say. Job, you must be sinning or else you would not be suffering. That was, the, that was what they all said. Job, there must be something in your life that is wrong and therefore God is causing you to suffer because of it. Now, that is bad theology. And that theology oftentimes I see, you know, sort of in the church and in conversation. That, and again, certainly the scripture teaches when you sow into the flesh, you're going to reap things of the flesh. There's going to be consequences to the things that you sow into. When you sow into immorality, that's what you're going to eventually reap that. When you sow into greed, you're going to you know, reap the heart of greed. When you sow into anger, you're going to reap you know, things in your life that, that are going to bring about terrible, bad consequences. Certainly that's the case. What you sow into, that's what you'll reap. When you sow into the flesh, you'll reap the flesh. When you sow into the spirit, you're going to reap the things of the spirit. That's just what we're talking about in 2020. We're sowing into the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. That's what we're sowing into. And so their theology was, Job, you must be sinning or else you would not be suffering. But that's not necessarily how God works. That's not how he works in those ways. They, they even, the verse, just to sort of give you a, a better idea. According to what I've seen, this is one of Job's friends. This is what he said to Job. According to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. So that's what he's essentially saying about Job. Listen, Job, you must have, you know, plowed into iniquity. You must have sown into trouble. And therefore now you're harvesting it. In other words, you did something and now God is punishing you for it. You did something bad and God, there, God is punishing you for it. This is, sometimes, this is bad, bad thinking and bad theology. And here's the way that it's practically played out for us. Things like this. If I do such and such, if I do, I don't know, go to church more, read my Bible, pray more often, do a good work for my neighbor, then God will do something. God will, you know, give me more money. You know, God will give me that, you know, that, that loan that I'm going for. God will, you know, bl bless my marriage. God will do, do you know, give me that, that, that new car that I'm hoping. To, like all of these things. So we think if I do this, then God will do that. It's like God is like a, a personal vending machine, right? If I just press these buttons, you know, and the number that I want, I want that, that, that Snickers bar. If I press that button, then that's what's going to, dispense that Snickers bar it's like it's like God is just like, like this you know cosmic vending machine if I do this then God will do that if I do this good thing God will do this good thing for me but their theology was similar in that way if you do this then you must this is what you're going to reap this is what you're going to harvest you must have done trouble you've not, must have sown into iniquity therefore you're that's why you're suffering and they were treating God as if God was a vending machine. You just push the button, and whatever you push, that's what will dispense. But that's not how God works. As a matter of fact, Jesus' disciples 
thought the same thing. They're, this is their theology of God. So this theology began when Job, and it carried all the way over into Jesus. And look what it says in John 9.1. And he passed by, and he saw a, a man blind from birth. Now look what, they, look what his disciples say. Verse 2. And his disciples asked him, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? In other words, hey, Jesus, something must have been wrong in his life or in his parents' life in order for him to reap the harvest of being born blind. There, there must have been something that they did wrong, this man or his parents, that he was, that he reaped being born blind. So what, what, what who's, who was it, Jesus? Who, Jesus, which one? Which one? You know, you know all things, Jesus, right? So which one was it? Was it him or was it his parents? Give us the, give us the scoop, give us the dirt. What was it? And look what Jesus' response was, verse three. Jesus answered, it was neither. Wait, whoa, 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 what, what, what? Yeah, it was, it was neither. It wasn't, it wasn't him. He didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't his parents. They didn't do anything wrong. It was neither. It was neither. That his man, this man sinned, nor his parents. But it was so that, look at this, this is so important, so important. It was so that, no, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is like, just game changer, game changer for us. Jesus says, listen, listen, it has nothing to do. This man was born blind. It has nothing to do with his sin or his parents' sin. As a matter of fact, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. That this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The hard thing about us, the hard thing about us as human beings is that we hate pain. But oftentimes God will use the platform of our pain to display the beauty of God. That God will use the hurts and the pains and the struggles and the shortcomings and the things that we're just born into. And to be honest, it just isn't fair. But God wants to use those times where it just isn't fair where you didn't do anything to deserve it you were just born into it that God wants to use that and you see that as a shortcoming or you see that as a result of some sort of sin that happened to you or from your parents you see it in that way and God's going no 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 I don't want you to see it that way I want you to see it as if God wants to display something that God wants to work in something in your life that will just blow people's minds and that's what Job understood. And Job's like, no, I'm not perfect. And I don't always get it right. And I think you guys are a bunch of sorry comforters and some worthless physicians. But here's what I know. I didn't do anything wrong to deserve this kind of suffering. So God must be wanting to work something in and through me. That God must be wanting his glory and his power to be displayed in and through me even when I'm born into something that I didn't 
choose. So what does God want to produce in us? Well, Peter tells us. God wants us to produce in us. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, you know about supplement, right? You know about supplement income. You know you need supplement income to help pay the bills and you get an extra job or your spouse gets a job so that you can help do that. You understand that. Supplement, supplements that you have for your health, right? You, you take supplements like maybe some protein or, you know, you take, you know, different things like fish oils or, you know, all these things. You know, all of us need supplements when it comes to waking up, right? You, you need caffeine you know you take you have caffeine you drink a pop or you know you take have an energy drink or most of us drink coffee right it helps us wake up there's even supplements out there that help you sleep right you can go and take a melatonin gummy right that we have. I have a I love though I, I'm I, I shouldn't admit this maybe but I love you know it's like I can't sleep I just take a little you know melatonin gummy and just knocks me right out it's amazing so all of us t- have these supplements to help us sleep or help us wake up or help us with our health or help us with our income. All of us understand what this means. So Peter's saying, listen, we need to sow into these supplements into our faith. We need to have it. So we have faith in Jesus, but there's supplements that enhance those things. There's supplements that aid into our faith. And here's what James, or excuse me, not James, Peter would say. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And here's what he says. Supplement it with virtue, which is another versions of the Bible is morality or moral excellence. So supplement it with living a moral life with virtue and with virtue with knowledge. And so what, what happens is, is that things start to then produce on top of each other. So you start supplementing your faith with moral excellence or virtue. And then what it will produces out of that is, is, is knowledge, a, a better understanding of God, a better understanding of, of what God wants, a better understanding of when you f- do things that God wants you to do, that he's gonna use that and, and he's gonna produce something in that. And it's, you're gonna have a better understanding of who, of who God is. And then knowledge with self-control and I know this is a tough one, and we're going to get to that one later down the road into the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll, I won't go too far into that, but you know all of us could use a little self-control. But So what happens is that God will produce in us things like knowledge with self-control. And with self-control, here's our, here's our word for today, with steadfastness, this enduring patience. And with steadfastness, with godliness. And he goes on, verse 7, Peter says, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So God sees, God, God wants to use these things that we're, whether we're born into them or whether they happen to us in our life that are just aren't fair or we didn't deserve and, and it had nothing to do with the fact that you sinned somewhere and this is the consequence, it had nothing to do with that. That sometimes God just allows us to go through things and suffer through things and have hardships through times in this life so that he can, his work can be displayed in and through us. And the things like virtue and the things like knowledge and the things like self-control and the things like steadfastness and the things like godliness and brotherly affection and love. Boy, this is what the world needs. And this is what the world needs to be displayed, even in your pain. 
that be the platform in your pain that God is displaying these things, that you're still not gonna sin, even though in your pain you say, I'm not gonna sin, you're gonna have that moral excellence. That in your pain, you're still gonna wanna grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is in, in that pain. And in that pain, you're still gonna have self-control and you're gonna you know, exhibit that kind of self-control that only God can produce in you. And in that self-control, you're gonna have the steadfastness, this enduring patience in your life. And that in that enduring patience, that's gonna produce godliness and people are going to look at your life and go wow there's godly people they're moral people they're self-controlled people and they have this affection for the brothers and sisters around them no matter what they look like no matter where they've come from no matter what their background is they have this affection for a brother and a sister and they treat them the same. They treat them like family no matter what. No matter what their culture is. No matter where they're from or what their race is. They treat them like a brother and a sister. They treat them like family. This is what God needs to do in and through us. This is the platform that God wants to use in and through us to ultimately exhibit love. A love for one another the way that Jesus loved us. And to treat one another the way that Jesus treated us. And that's the work that God wants to display, even in the platform, even in the platform of your pain. And look what Peter says. For if these qualities are yours, look what he says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's going, come on, let the work of God in you be displayed outward. Let the work of God in you change you, transform you so that the world can see what it looks like to have self-control, morality, patience, brotherly affection, and love. And if you, if these qualities are yours, it's going to be fruitful. It's going to be fruitful and effective. That's what it is. Job had patience despite the providential pain. Ugh. It's so hard for us to come around that idea and wrap our heads around that. That sometimes God allows certain things to happen to us. But Job knew that there was a purpose. Job knew that there was a plan. And Job was willing to be patient despite this providential plan and the providential pain that he was going through. And God speaks now. God speaks and I just want to say this to you, when we have the word of God, when God speaks audibly and the word of God is for all of us to hear what God wants to say to you personally in, in that moment. So just as God was speaking to Job, God is speaking to you. And he's speaking to you in your pain and he's speaking to you in your time of where you're becoming impatient and you're wanting to turn your back on God and you're wanting to justify your sin and you're wanting to do your own thing and you're wanting to live your moral integrity the way that you want to live your moral integrity and have no self-control and no brotherly affection and certainly no love. And, and, and I, listen, 
That's, and God, God's going, come on, come on. God says, here's what God says to Job. And he fires 77 questions at Job. But the first question is everything. He says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding. Where were you, Job? Hey, I know, I know, it's not fair. I know it happened. I know you were born into it. I know it's not fair. Listen, I get, I get. But, but listen, I've got a greater purpose in mind. I've got a plan here. And oftentimes my plan it will, will involve your pain. But you gotta be patient. And if you don't understand it, I, I get it because who can? So you tell me, Job. Do you even understand how I even laid the foundation of the earth? Can you explain to me, were you there when that happened? And Job would say, no. No. God, your ways are not my ways. God, you're, you're, you, what you do is not what I would do, but you're God and you were there and the, you created the foundation. You made everything. And God, I don't understand, but even though I don't understand, you understand. Even though I don't know the plan, you know the plan. Even though I don't get the purpose, you have a purpose. And he even goes on, he says, he describes this beast, this animal. He goes in and says, hey, does anybody have the power? Does anybody have the power to, you know, to subdue this, this beast? Does anybody have the power to tame this animal? Job, you don't. I mean, this is the, one of the first you know, animals that he describes. This is the description of Job uh, in, in the scripture of, of this animal. He called him behemoth, behemoth. And we don't have the image of behemoth. But behemoth was this brontosaurus-looking dinosaur. If you're interested, I, I believe that when Job lived on this earth, that there was some dinosaurs at the time. And he describes this, this image or describes this word picture of what this behemoth looked like. And it was a picture of what our you know, brontosaurus looks like, this, this dinosaur. And then he goes on and describes this other type of image of this, of this leviathan. Leviathan was this sort of this, you can almost describe him like a, it was a sea creature, it appears in, the, in Job, but it was also like this dragon type of thing. He talks about how the fire in his belly, you know, you know, spits out fire from his belly. I mean, just this amazing picture of God saying to Job, can you even control these things? Do you even have the power to stop behemoth? Do you have the power or the strength to stop Leviathan? And all of that, look what Job's response was. Job 44. Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hands on my mouth. In other words, I've got nothing to say. Job learned two things in that pain and being patient. He learned a lot about himself. He learned a lot about himself. And for some of us, it's good to re remember that how we measure up in size compared to a great, big God.
And he learned a lot about himself, but he also learned about how big God is. That he was putting God, even though not intentionally, but he was putting God in a box. And he realized how big God is and God's questions and God, where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Do you even understand? How, how do you even have the power to, to, to control behemoth? Do you have the power to stop Leviathan? I do, God would say, but you don't, Job. And Job came to the realization that all of us need to come to the realization of, and that is this, that God, you are big and I am small. God, you are big and I am small. And my plans and what I think is best for me is also small compared to your plans and what you think is best for me because those are big. And some of us, and myself included, need to be resized a bit. And we need to be remeasured into who we are when we stand before an almighty God who does love you, who does care for you, who does want to work in your life, who does want to transform you. But the fact of the matter is, is that he is a massive God. He was there and he laid the foundations of the earth. Where were you? Where were you? He's able to control the biggest beast in the world, are you? I mean, for me, I'm afraid of geese and swans, personally. And God's going, you think you can control behemoth? You think you can control Leviathan? I can. I can. And Job's response is correct and appropriate. I'm insignificant. I'm insignificant, and I just need to stop talking. I need to stop arguing with you, God. I need to stop complaining to you, God, and I just need to be patient and accept what it is that you want to do in my life because you're God and I'm not. It's all about you and not about me. The other way that Job responded was this. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God, I know that you can do all things and no purpose, none of your purpose, no plans can be thwarted. Ours can, and we know that. We've lived in that. Ours can, but not God's. But not God's. And so Job came to the realization, wait a minute, wait a minute. So if your plans can't be thwarted, if your purposes can't be stopped, then this must have been your plan and this must have been your purpose that happened to me in my life. And therefore I can be patient. Because it may not be what I plan and it may not be what I would purpose for me, but God, if it's, if it's you and if God, if this is what you purpose and this is what you plan, I'm gonna be patient because your purposes and your plans are never thwarted. They can never be stopped. They can never be swayed. They can never be moved. God, your plans and your purposes are unmovable and nothing can stop those. And so if this is what you allow for me, if this is what you allow in my life, so be it, so be it. And I'll be patient and I'll be patient. And Job discovered something so amazing that he just became so 
he realized so much. He, look what he says, look what he says, Job 42. I have heard of you by the hearing of your, of your ear, of the ear. But now, but now, my eye sees you. Job says, now. Job got what all of us should want. Not just to hear about God. Not for me to just tell you in a camera, in your home, wherever you're at, about how great God is and how amazing God is and how incredible God is and how unbelievably you know, it, it is to know him and to follow him and to live for him and, and he'll change you and he'll transform you and he'll make you new and he's got plans for your life. He wants to take things that are dead and bring them back to life again, things that are broken and restore them. He wants to do that in your relationships. He wants to do that in your finances. He wants to do that in your life and I'm telling you it's one thing to hear about God but I want and God wants you to see him he wants you to see him for yourself he wants you to experience him and sometimes it means to be patient and to wait for the purpose of what God brought you through so that you can have what I hope that you long for more than anything else just to see him in your life. Job had patience and Job is remembered for his patience and I hope you are too. And I hope in your patience you get resized a bit but you also see, you also see how big of a God you serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your compassion and your kindness. And we look at the story of Job and it's hard for us to relate, but I just pray, Lord, that we see that he was just a regular person just like you and me. And he went through stuff as we go through stuff. But God, we just know that in it, in it you have a plan. We know it, in it, you have a purpose. And we don't always understand that purpose, but just like we don't understand how you laid the foundations of the earth. So just like we don't understand that, God, we don't always understand what we're going through, but we know that you have something better in mind. We know it. We trust put our faith in that. And we hold our integrity and we hold our character and we don't blame you, God, and we don't turn our back on you and we certainly don't curse you. But yet we stand firm and our trust in you, believing that you always have a better plan and your plans are never thwarted. And whatever you bring our way, we'll hold firm. Whatever you want us to endure, we'll stand firm. And we'll allow you to work in and through us like we couldn't do, and we never could have done on our own. I pray, Lord, that we're resized in light, in comparison to you. And I pray, Lord, that we not just hear about you, not just that we hear about you, but that we see you, we see you personally in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody.